This is Agile Storytime with David Ritter. There's power in simplicity. Organizations that align on clear, simple goals and principles are more likely to achieve their aspirations. Ultimate simplicity is said to be canonical, not in the traditional sense of conforming to the laws of the church, but in the mathematical sense, something reduced to its most basic form. At its heart, Agile is simple. Small cross-functional teams working together to achieve a shared goal by iterating, testing, and learning. This is what makes Agile work. But it's easy to lose the forest for the trees. The methods that Agile provides, Scrum, Kanban, Flow, can seem abstruse, theoretical, academic. They're surrounded by a cloud of off-putting jargon. The founders of the Agile movement sought to express the core ideas in simple terms. The Agile Manifesto, developed from a conversation among leading software developers, their discussions came together at a gathering in February 2001 at the Snowbird Ski Resort in Utah. They published the Manifesto for Agile Software Development, which said in its entirety, we are uncovering better ways of developing software by doing it and helping others do it. Through this work, we have come to value individuals and interactions over processes and tools, working software over comprehensive documentation, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, responding to change over following a plan. That is, while there is value in the items on the right, we value the items on the left more. Clear and concise, but also terrifying for many traditional leaders and managers, perceived as a loss of control and discipline. For Agile to gain traction in most organizations, additional clarity was required. One way this evolved was in papers and books that sought to fill in the details. Some of these, such as the Scrum Guide, strove to build on the simplicity of the original manifesto while adding structure around the process by which Agile can be practiced. Others grew into weighty tomes relating Agile to more established practices, such as Lean. But one of the organizers of the Snowbird meeting has sought over the ensuing decades to further reduce a working definition of Agile to its most canonical form. Alistair Coburn has established and promoted the heart of Agile, a radically simpler approach to achieving outstanding outcomes. It's a community of ideas that seeks to amplify Agile culture beginning by simplifying it into just four imperatives. Collaborate, deliver, reflect, improve. I'm delighted to introduce today's guest, Alistair Coburn. In the 1990s, Dr. Coburn drove successful commercial object-oriented projects at IBM. His best-selling book, Writing Effective Use Cases, established him as the world's leading expert on requirements gathering and process description. He's authored several core titles in the Agile canon, and is in demand as a speaker and consultant for leading organizations. His work on the heart of Agile is part of his ongoing quest to help organizations grow closer together. Welcome, Alistair. When I first encountered the Agile Manifesto, I had to wonder if it was trying to address the all too common experience of software developers who build something but are then told, that's what we asked for, but that's not what we need. This gap in connection between users and developers. 
No, I never had that experience. My formative project was in 94, 95. It was a fixed price, fixed time fiscal project, $10 million, 18 months, small talk, uh, DB2, COBOL, mainframe, integration thing, right? The company was, uh, I think I can mention it was Ralston Purina, and they had a very, very enlightened management crowd. They were already doing client server. They were already doing incremental. They were already doing user involvement. They were already doing all of that stuff. So we had two user viewing. We delivered every three months. We had two user viewings, real user viewings with real code, not just discussions per delivery. So we always got our bad news in, in round one, like six weeks in, we got our bad news. I never had that, right? If you look at the extreme programming guys, they didn't have that. They were delivering, right? So basically what was common in the room was you don't have to have that experience if you work this way. We work this way and we think it works. So we're just going to tell you what we think works. We find that many organizations still have not fully understood the need for frequent customer user feedback, the lesson your client learned in the 1990s. What characterizes organizations that can work this way? There's an answer uh, that I've given for actually for 20 years now, which is, can you give your boss bad news? And that's the big dividing line. If you can't do that, you can't do agile. And there are many, 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 both cultures, organizations, and individual bosses who won't tolerate bad news and will not let you do the discovery. Even if you feel, if you have inside information that what you're doing isn't going to suit your, your users, if you don't have permission, that experience you described is exactly what you're going to get. And you can often trace that to one executive, a mindset in a department, a person, a country or whatever that says you're not allowed to guess wrong. You must guess and you must guess right. Alistair, how do you introduce the heart of Agile to new audiences, particularly non-technical audiences? I just went to the dictionary and what's Agile? Agile is the ability to move and change directions quickly and with ease. And then we ask, well, who needs this ability? And the answer is everybody. The world is so unpredictable, rapid. If there was ever a time you could plan two years in advance, it sure isn't this year. So that means every organization, every company, every division, every department, every group, every person needs to increase their ability, because it's a gradation, it's not a binary, it's not a yes, no, increase their ability to move and change direction quickly. With ease. To reduce the trauma of change. So now we've got the what is agile, why do I care? What's the problem facing us generically in the agile world? Well, first of all, pretty much aside from Scrum, they're all targeted towards software, including Scrum. They're all too complicated. If everybody in the world has to learn this, we have to simplify it so much that everybody can learn it. And it has to apply to every initiative possible. So when I ended up with these four words and I looked, they, they don't have the word software in there. They don't have product. They don't have project. They, don't, they just collaborate, deliver, reflect, improve. Alistair, what set you on the path to find ways to describe Agile in ways that were even more concise and straightforward than the manifesto? Kent Beck and I shared something in common in the late 90s in that we were both looking for words to better describe what was going on. And it was common and popular in the late 90s to say software is like X, where the normal one was, was civil engineering, which it's not a whole lot like, but does have mm. some similarities with and people were going like, well, what is it like? Well, it's like theater, well, it's like Jeff. And I finally said, it's like itself. It's, it, it will be the reference thing that everybody understands. In 50 years, everybody will understand what it's like to develop software. And it'll be the thing, we'll say, this is like software development instead of software development like this. One of the words that we both rejected was the word requirements that splits into two parts. I met a lady who was a town manager 
And um, somehow in a conversation, I was asking her about how they did contracts. And she said, wishes and needs. And the problem is requirements doesn't have a single word replacement because sometimes it's needs and sometimes it's wishes. And she actually wrote in her contracts, wishes and needs, which was sweet because it answered the problem. In my case, I replaced it with a verb phrase, deciding what to build. Because deciding what to build, I found I, I never needed the word requirements. I could always organize the sentence to be able to slot that in. And that makes it clear it's a consensus-based matter that could change over time. And now you're opening the discussion for, is it true, is it false? Do we keep it, do we change it without locking it? And the heart of Agile specifically, what's the origin story? So I have a colleague called Craig Brown in Melbourne, Australia. And uh, Craig doesn't do any software stuff. He's a people person and he is voted to high up management levels in software companies and encountered this thing called Scrum and he didn't know from nothing, but he, he reads people extremely well. And over a series of visits to Australia, he'd invite me in to give a talk and then and he said, my guys are smart. And mostly they walk out in the middle of a presentation. When you do yours, they stay for the whole thing. They talk about it for the next two days. When can you come back? I was going around the world talking about the essence of Agile. People had a 90-page glossary they'd inflict on their clients, boot camps for clients to understand all the jargon. And, and I'm going, it wasn't supposed to be that way. I kept just kind of coming back to the roots and the essence. Okay? So I'm sitting in Craig's uh, kitchen and he says to me words roughly like, like this. He goes, so, so Alistair, your shit works, but nobody knows what it is because you haven't written anything in like that many years. And other people come along and they get famous, but their doesn't work. You need to get out there again. You need a logo, a name, and a certification scheme. Those are table stakes. So it was a challenge. I was doing advanced agile master classes at the time. And the very next one, at the beginning of the class, I was looking for a shape. I was just doodling, right? I did a, di a diamond. Diamond is a shape. I need a shape. Diamond. Diamond. Why not? Now you have two choices. The, the lines go this way or the lines go that way. So I don't know. What the f What do I know? The lines go that way. So what words do I have? Word one, collaborate. You know, like no thought, your body generates this stuff. You know, if you're a musician, musician, music comes out. But the next one is interesting because I talk about, because there's really three things. Mind, meld, deliver feedback, reflect and improve. Reflect and improve is two concepts. Reflective improvement is reflective improvement. It's, it's six syllables. In Scrum, they say inspect and adapt. Two concepts, five syllables. Nobody does it. Everybody does a job at that. Right? So, so because I needed four, words, I separated reflect from improve. And I didn't know why and I didn't know what to do. I had four slots. I got to do something. So that was the moment. And then while I was doing the class, I kept glancing at the board to see if these four words were going to hold together like where the holes. And because I don't like to be wrong, I didn't want to go public with it and then have someone tell me like two years later, hey, by the way, it's wrong and you missed this whole point. So for the next six or eight or 10 months, all of my workshops, I put up five flip charts and then I would have everybody just take sticky notes. And I said, write down everything that you ever had on a successful project that worked and you'd like to see it again. And then I go, take all your sticky notes and put them on those four flip charts with those four words. And if something doesn't fit on any of those four, put it on this fifth one. Because I wanted to catch what I was missing. The one that took me the longest to integrate was uh, going to classes to learn better programming. And I realized that's part of improvement. Nothing didn't fit. So four canonical words, collaborate, deliver, reflect, improve. What about the word heart? Heart comes from, this is this, uh, this Japanese tattoo here, uh, which is pronounced kokoro. In Chinese, they say shin, and it means heart or essence. 
So it's not like I heart New York, but the heart of, essence of. But there's a human element to the word heart as well. I promise you, I was not thinking about that when I came up with the word heart. You, you know, it's, I feel really bad saying that. Everybody else goes, God, I love it. It's got the heart at the center. And I go, oh, don't say that too loud. Some executives might hear you. For the heart of Agile community, notice I added three more words in here. And the three words are dialogue, openness, and humanity. And what we did, so the official heart of Agile is only the four words. That's an engine. And engines, engines are, are amoral. You can yeah. build nuclear weapons with that. You can, you can destroy people more effectively with that. We decided after a lot of in, um, introspection inside our community, that yeah. inside of our community, we needed to anchor on those three words as the center of our community, our trainers, our community leaders, our executives, everybody. We would interview for this. We would hold ourselves accountable for this. This was our, our moral ethical center. Alistair, what have you learned while applying this framework? Look, it's only four words, right? It's not a framework. I, I call it a mandala. Put all kinds of esoteric art around it on your wall and stare at it every day. Like, you know, that's, that's, that's what it is. It's a mandala. It, it's a reminder. It's nothing that you didn't know. It's not like at nine o'clock you do this and at 12 o'clock you do that. None of that stuff. In the search for word, how do we get rid of the word framework or process? So not a framework. Your partner, Soleil Pinter, has also described Heart of Agile as a compass. She came up with a metaphor that's a compass. And she said, and the nice thing about a compass is you can't processize a compass. You don't do all four points of the compass. You think you know where you want to go. You have an idea where you want to head. You look at the compass and you decide in what direction to go next. So the way she puts it is the heart of Agile is a compass that helps you decide what conversations to engage in that will move you forward in the direction you'd like to move. Then the next part of everything she says is, well, what are the conversations you have? Well, you have the conversation about collaboration, trust, fear, all this stuff inside of delivery. You have learning and increment. You have financial models and, and so on and so forth. And, and this is our way of trying to get out of the process framework trap. How have organizations responded to the heart of Agile? My experience now, having been a vendor of methodologies for, for pretty close to 30 years, is people adopt, not for some rationale, but according to what like just aligns, harmonizes with their inside view of the world. Inside the heart of Agile, we will never tell you anything. I will dialogue with you about how you will dialogue with the execs, about how they will dialogue with their people, and nobody's telling anything. I can imagine that providing a compass without giving specific direction may land differently with different organizations. You mentioned an example at a European telecom company. Telecoms are notoriously hidebound. I did my Heart of Agile thing, and he said, I really like this. You're not a consultant trying to tell me how to do my job. I'm smart. I know my stuff. You're in dialogue with me, helping me to see things. Tell me what to do. No, don't tell me what to do. Dialogue. On a scale of one to 10, well, 10 is where you want to be and one's flatline, you know, like this. We never try to jump to 10. We try to jump a half a point better. If you're at three, go to three and a half. If you're at six, go to six and a half. If every group gets more effective, a half a point, the collaboration goes up a bit, delivery goes up a bit, they reflect a little bit, they put a little bit. Yeah. We're in motion. Getting people in motion is the hardest thing. In our work, we do give executives specific direction, for example, to attend sprint reviews and ask questions. And 
We believe sometimes these executives need that specific guidance in order to get closer to the work, to engage with teams. So you asked them to dialogue. You told them to dialogue, right? So I, I want to, first of all, separate your executives who want to be told and your executives who don't want to be told. If you have an exec who wants to be told, then by God, we tell them. They, they want starter kit. Yeah. Don't dialogue with me forever. Give me a starter kit. Now, if someone says, give me a starter kit, I can say, sure, here's an idea. But the way I speak it is like that. Here's an idea. You can go to Sprint Review and, and ask questions. Now, my colleague who's a specialist in the solution focus style, um, Jerry Dervier, he's in Paris. He'd be asking questions like, so how do you feel about your knowledge of where your projects are? And that opens them to say, I do know, I don't know. Most of them say, I don't know. And then it would be like, well, I wonder where you could go to find any information. Is there still room for process? I very, very rarely do methodology or process design because by and large, people never do whatever you say. It doesn't fit, it doesn't work, and they don't do it. A methodology is nothing more than the conventions that people agree to follow. Where do you get your instructions on what you're going to build? How do you decide what to build? Where are you going to get your ideas from? Just tell me, I'll write it down. And oh man, the arguments, the hair pulling, you know, all the gnashing of the teeth. An hour and a half later, you don't have very many things written down. So, oh, guess what? You're coming back next week, we're going to do this again. Like I figured out, guys. Tell me what you're going to do, what you're willing to do. Those will be your conventions. You run with them for three months. We'll do this again. We'll touch up your conventions. I typically ask people to make as many changes are, that are comfortable for them as possible. And I typically have one ask that is not comfortable. And my history is they never do it over like a 30-year period. They just never do it, right? So I'm very sensitive to the fact that I'll take all the micro gains where I can. If I say deliver every three months, they're not going to. If I say talk to your users, they're not going to. How has your work with the heart of Agile changed you? It's really interesting if you live in these four words. It, it has literally changed the way I talk about Agile, teach Agile, the way I, I literally I work, the way I work with colleagues, the way I walk through the world. It's changed. Because if you live inside the word collaborate, if you only have the word collaborate, you just can't do certain behaviors that might have been acceptable before. Particularly those of us who've been around for a while love social impact projects. There's a lady called Rocio Briseño from Costa Rica, who I helped wrote um, a, a sort of a, a manifesto for social impact agile. She now, that's her thing, is social impact agile, see agile in, in Spanish. Uh, and they're interested in like projects where you're changing the flow of water in a village in the, in the Andes, right? You're not going to go in and there, there and there's no Gantt chart, the project management, none, none. Yeah. So you have to have stuff that's just dead, simple, ordinary. Dead, simple, canonical, powerful, the heart of Agile. Thanks, Alistair. Please follow Agile Storytime for more informative, insightful, and inspiring stories. This is a podcast from Boston Consulting Group. For more information on enterprise agility, go to on.bcg.com slash agile.